1: Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com
2: There could be something on your property or in your home right now that is very dangerous and could cause a serious emergency for you. You might not know that you have this, but then again, you might have just purchased it We didn't know any better when we purchased it. You're going to learn all about this in today's episode of Homesteady. Today's episode is a very different kind of show. If this is your first time listening to Homesteady, please don't judge us off this episode. We're normally a very positive show that focuses on the things you can do to make a difference, to live more sustainably. We normally have a very positive message. Today, we have a bit of a warning message of something that could go wrong something that did go wrong on our farm created an emergency that we had to react to we did it in the best way that we could you're going to hear two different things in this story i want to tell you about before we get started it's going to be a commercial free uninterrupted story it's that important we didn't want to dilute it first you're going to hear about jack biddle of three cedars retrievers he's an incredible dog trainer if you want to learn more about Jack, visit his website at 3seedersretrievers.com. You're also going to hear music from Emery Lester. We thank Emery so much for letting us use his music. We're big fans of Emery's. We've seen him live playing in Connecticut. He's a beautiful bluegrass musician, and you'll hear pieces of his music that he let us use. Go check him out. You can see his album, it's on the sidebar of our website. This is homesteady.com or you can visit his website, emerylester.com. Today's episode is brought to you by the Homesteady Pioneers, who are listening to the members-only podcasts, such as Dog Training with Jack Biddle, and the class Backyard Chicken Farming 101. Become a pioneer, and you too can listen to all these episodes. Homesteady Pioneers also will receive an extended version of this story. We cut a few different parts, including a harrowing drive, on busy roads through the snow, and the details on how to perform an emergency IV to make it fit within our normal time slot. But, Pioneers, you get to hear the whole story. And now, without any further ado, we get right into our story, one that I'd like to call Just One More. Our first farm dog was a Rottweiler named Livy. She was a really friendly dog. She was great with the kids. We always trusted her around the baby. She was full of energy and loved to play. And at two years old, she died. We don't know why she died. When we brought her to the vet, they told us that it would cost more money to test to see what she had than it would be to treat her. And we could treat her for both their guesses. The vet said that it could be two things. It was either Lyme nephritis, a form of Lyme's disease that targets puppies, Their other guess was that it was a congenital defect, something she was born with, and her kidneys were not big enough to cleanse her body, and they were failing her. Whatever the case, after a week-long battle, her kidneys failed, and she died. It was awful. She was two years old. She was the first dog I ever owned. We bought Livy while we were on vacation. We saw a poster in a supermarket for Rottweiler puppies and I made the mistake of saying we could go just to luck. The people that we bought her from were not breeders. They just owned a Rottweiler and decided they wanted to breed her and have puppies. So they couldn't have really known how to do it correctly. In the wake of losing Livy, we decided to make some changes in how we would buy our next dog. I'm a dog guy. I'm always going to own a dog. I love dogs. We decided instead of buying a dog from the newspaper, something we saw on a flyer, we were going to find a dog that could be assured a healthy start. You see, a dog you buy from the newspaper or from a backyard breeder is not necessarily going to guarantee you a good breeding. One of the problems that we might have been facing with Livy was that bad breeding caused her to be stunted. She was always a small dog, the smallest Rottweiler I'd ever seen, and at two years old she still looked like a puppy. And so possibly, it was that that killed her. I wasn't going to have another young dog die on me. So I went looking for a reputable breeder. Now as you guys know, I'm a hunter. I love hunting deer. also love bird hunting. And I wanted a dog that I could enjoy going out hunting with. A dog that I could rely on to be a good animal. So I started doing a lot of research. Something that I hadn't done when we purchased our first dog. I read a lot of different articles on raising labs. I got a book from the library and read all through it. This dog was gonna be different. I searched for a breeder, and I found a few that I liked. After interviewing a couple different ones, we finally settled on Jack. Jack doesn't live too far from my in-laws, which was a nice bonus, but that wasn't really the reason that we chose Jack. Jack Biddle of Three Cedars Retrievers is located in Western Pennsylvania. He's an incredible breeder, but he's also a caring breeder, a guy who loves his dogs. With each dog that he sells, he makes you fill out a form. He does a background check on you to make sure you can handle this kind of dog and that you're going to give it the best life you can. The first time I called Jack, I wasn't a customer. I wasn't referred by anyone. I just called him to start asking questions, and he was on the phone with me for over an hour. That's the kind of guy Jack is. And that's the kind of guy I wanted to buy a dog from. Because I wanted to do it right, and I know I don't have the experience in doing it right. So I wanted to make sure I had someone that would help guide me along the process. You see, I didn't want to just buy a dog. I also wanted a mentor. It didn't take me long to decide that we were going to buy from Jack and Three Cedars Retrievers. We decided to go visit, go see the dogs in action. And we were amazed. When Jack showed us his dogs, he brought out the two that were going to be having the next litter. Moss, the male dog, and Babe, the female. Moss is an incredible animal. you have to take my word that he's incredible, because Jack's a little too humble to go out and say it. But he's not afraid to tell you the stats that'll back that up. So brag about Moss now. What's the stuff that, because I don't know what's the important stuff to talk about.
3: Moss is six and a half years old. Uh, He's over... 6,400 birds retrieved wow. in his. I keep stats on all yeah. the dogs. 6,400 birds retrieved, and he's never failed on a retrieve. The only time he has not come back with a bird is when we physically saw the bird flush away. Yeah. So we know we had a bird reflushed. Um, I think his numbers are 722 this year. Longest measured retrieve. We've we've got a 549 yard blind retrieve that uh, on a pheasant that we measured after the fact yeah. simply because we got into a discussion as to how far <laughs> it was and the belief was that it was 400 yards and I thought it was closer to 500 yards and when we went out and we went back and recreated it with a yeah. laser rangefinder it was 549 nice. yards he's done longer than that but we yeah. weren't able to reproduce those yeah.
2: 549 yards I want you to take a minute and picture what that looks like. A football field is 100 yards. So imagine a quarterback throws a football five and a half football fields away. And then that wide receiver, he has to run that far, find the ball, and it's not sitting on top of a football field, nicely mowed with markings. It's sitting in a field of high grass. Could he find it? Moss did it in a few minutes. When we went to meet the dogs, Jack brought Babe and Moss out and showed them off. With Babe, he showed off the obedience and the personality. With Moss, he showed off his ability. He had me get in a gator with him and we drove up a hill about 500 yards while the dog was locked in the truck, couldn't see what we were doing. It was down the road. Planted a bumper and then drove back to where we started. Then Jack brought Moss out and, using hand signals, directed him to an orange-colored bumper, 500 yards away. It was amazing, especially because the orange bumper is something that Moss can't see. Labs don't see the color orange. So he was relying completely on the hand signals and the scent. Now you'd think this kind of dog was the result of an expert trainer. And Jack is certainly an expert trainer. But he wasn't an expert trainer when he first got Moss. It's actually pretty incredible because Jack wasn't a trainer at all. In fact, he didn't even decide to get the dog. Jack had a job change that resulted in him opening up his own business, a business that paid all the bills and still left him with a lot of free time.
3: Well, you know, quickly found out that that was going to keep me busy about 15, 20 hours a week, and that's yeah. about all. So yeah. my family thought I had too much free time. <laughs> so um, since I had always had Labradors in my, in, in my other days, uh, but when we traveled so much, we really didn't replace them as they, as they passed away. So they decided to get me a dog for Christmas. So gotcha. I started opening up Christmas presents one morning, and I got a dog lead, and I figured, uh-oh, <laughs> oh, this is somebody else's present, because my, my daughter and son both have dogs, and it was, figured it was actually their present that I got by mistake. But after the third present, I finally clicked on me that I was, oh, I'm getting a puppy. <laughs> so they had arranged for me to get a puppy from a breeder. Um... And all they had done was they had paid for the puppy, and I had to go select it.
2: When you buy a dog from Jack, you get a health guarantee, and you get a healthy dog. Jack had no such guarantee with Moss.
3: Knowing what I know today, we would never have bought this particular dog. Really? The the breeder was not a reputable breeder. There were no health certificates done on the dogs. There was very little information available on the dog. When we showed up there... Instead of having a lot of dogs to choose from, there was one yellow male who was 14 oh, weeks old. And this male was, he was the ugliest puppy you'd ever want to see. <laughs> he was left behind from his litter. He was, oh, the, he yeah. was nobody wanted him. Yeah. And uh, he, he, was, he was pretty bad looking. Yeah. But uh, he was really my only choice, so uh, we decided to bring him home. Uh, didn't have a name for him at that point in time got him in the truck, and we were about an hour and a half away from here, and about three minutes into the ride, Moss pooped all over the inside of his crate. Oh, man. It was uh, January,
0: oh, <laughs> man.
3: so we got to ride home with the windows open in January oh. with a, a really crappy dog in the back <laughs> of it. It was it was not a great experience, but on the way home, we decided that um, <clears throat> we were it was time we were going to he was going to be one more, so we, we called him Uno Mas. Um,
2: Uno Mas. One more. Mas was
3: supposed to be the last one, and he was just going to be my dog. Yeah. You know, he was, he was just, you know, he was just going to be my dog. If we went hunting, that was fine, but, you know, that's all we were going to do.
2: He was just going to be Jack's dog. Nothing special.
3: So he was just seven months old. Friends of mine who breed and train Llewellyn setters uh, called me up and said, "We got a hundred chuckers. We're going to take these young Llewellyns out, but they won't retrieve. You want to bring the Labrador along? We'll have him retrieve the birds, and we'll we'll have a big chucker cookout afterwards." So we're out there, and uh, the next thing you know, Moss flushes a bird right in front of us that the Llewellyns had run past. So the guy shoots it. Moss picks it up. Not a classy retrieve or anything like that, but it was a pretty nice mark on a on a bird. Um, next thing you know, he's flushed another bird that the Llewellyns have run past, and another bird that the Llewellyns run past. And the the guy who was doing the gunning was the guy who had provided the birds. Said to me, he said, "You to sell that dog?" <laughs> and I was like, "Nah, you know, he's a Christmas present. I can't sell him." Yeah. So, throughout the course of the day, um, we ended up putting the Llewellyns away and just hunting with Moss. He was wow. he was just awesome. And um, the guy kept offering me more and more and more money. <laughs> for this dog, finally got to the point where he said, look, I won't buy the dog from you. He said, I'll give you some money. He said, you keep ownership of the dog. He said, I want to train the dog. And he said, I want to run him in field trials. He said, you know, I've I i I've, I've never seen a dog with this much potential. Wow. And and ultimately, I said, no, I can't sell him. He's my dog, you know, and yeah. he was a president. And there's just no way I'm going to sell him. And the guy said, you owe it to this dog to learn how to train him correctly. He said, I've been around high-profile Labradors my entire career, and he said, I've never seen one with this much raw talent.
2: And he was just sitting at the, the puppy store. He, he was, was
3: just, the last, what, it was just sitting at a breeder's. The guy's a puppy mill breeder. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's got a pair of yellows, a pair of blacks, and a pair of chocolates, yeah. and as soon as he can, he's breeding them. You know, doesn't do any health certificates on yeah. them. Very, Bert, basically the doesn't them. know their pedigrees yeah. or anything, and, and just dumb, dumb luck. He, yeah. you, know, you get one dog like him in your lifetime.
2: Moss was Jack's once-in-a-lifetime dog, and it changed his life forever.
3: One thing just led to another, and the next thing I realized is it's like, you know what, other people need to have dogs like Moss. We need to find a way to breed Moss. and
0: Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started
3: have other dogs like him out there so it started us on the search for babe we had a I knew that Moss was not everybody's cup of tea he's a lot of dog he's more dog than most people want to deal with but the the thing the positive things he did were so good we wanted to find a a way to breed that into a puppy that would have all of his strengths but maybe be more nicely mannered so we went looking for a female that we thought would complement that and found babe and the rest is history
2: Moss is an amazing dog, really an incredible retriever. But to be honest, Babe was the one who really won us over. She's this lovable dog that's very personable, obedient. If you tell her to sit, she'll sit there for an hour. She'll wait until you say, okay. Moss impressed us, there's no question about that. But Babe won our heart.
3: Now, Babe's now had uh, 28 pups. To the best of my knowledge, there hasn't been a dud in there. I'm not in touch with every one of the pups anymore. I've lost touch with three of them, but the rest of them I'm all in touch with. And uh, you know, we've got a there's a bomb detection dog in Philly. There's a uh, search and rescue dog that's been trained at Penn Bend. It's going to New Mexico. That's going to be announced in the next couple of days. Uh, we've got a personal protection dog in New York City. It's a guard dog basically which again not a typical role for a Labrador. I've got a bunch of them that are hunting dogs. Some I get fortunate enough that I get to see and I get to hunt with.
2: That's incredible. So Moss turned you. I was expecting to hear like oh I'd love to you know ditch dogs and bird hunt this and that. Yeah. He made you. I
3: didn't know any of this stuff. I had to learn all this because of
2: him. We were totally sold. Babe and Moss were the dogs we wanted to get a puppy from and the exciting thing was this was the last litter they were going to have and we had our name number two on Jack's list we already knew we wanted another girl Livy was great we wanted a female who would be a great house pet who would be calm good with the kids but also have the right equipment a great nose and a good drive if I wanted to take her out hunting we had our name on the list but we still had to wait a couple months for breeding and then of course gestation and the two months before the puppy can go home with you. That entire time was really exciting. Jack's great about keeping you updated. You can follow along on Facebook or on his website, getting that first message that babe had been bred, getting Facebook posts as the day came closer and closer, and then the day the puppy started to be born. It was March 18th, 2014. The Facebook announcement, which was what signaled us that the birth had begun, read, puppies are arriving, two so far, one each, male and female. There was already a girl out. We were excited. Knowing we were first on the list for a girl, we figured we knew we'd get our girl. By the next day, five had been born. Only one of those was a female. Jack wrote, Mom and puppy's doing well. I got weights on each of them this morning. I am not 100% convinced she is done yet. Babe had large litters. And so, Jack was expecting a lot more puppies than this. But it was not to be. It turned out five was always in this litter. Now, Jack gives temporary names to all his pups. He chose the names Bond, Duke, Clint, Grace, and Bob. Grace being the girl. We had our eye on her. We wanted to know what she was going to be like and if she was going to be the one coming home with us. In the eight weeks that we waited to take our puppy home, Grace turned out to not be the right dog for us. She was the number one alpha in the group. Nobody could mess with her. She was going to be the hunting dog, the one who focused on hunting and nothing else, someone who would be good for a hunting guide, not somebody looking for a family dog. But there was one pup that just had our name written all over him. His original name was Bond, but he wasn't much of a secret agent James Bond type. He was no alpha male, that was for sure. He was a bit more relaxed. He'd make a perfect family animal. We trusted Jack 100% to pick our dog. We didn't want to show up and fall in love with an animal that came right up to us, only to learn later that that's a trait in an alpha dog, a dog that would not be a good fit for our family. Jack said Bond was the one. But we weren't going to keep the name. Neither of us are big secret agent 007 fans. We wanted to name our dog something, something that would tell his story. He's coming onto our homestead, our farm. He's going to spend a lot of time in the woods with me, whether that's tracking deer, finding pheasants, or just running around the woods, doing our thing on the homestead. So after a lot of brainstorming, a lot of thought, we finally had a name that we loved. Boone. Like Daniel Boone. Like our dog Daniel Boone was from Pennsylvania. But there were a lot of other things other qualities of Daniel Boone's that I was hoping they would have in common. You see, Daniel Boone was known to love to be in the woods and I wanted that drive, that same drive that Daniel Boone had to be outside hunting and fishing. And Daniel Boone was called the Backwoods Master. When you buy a registered lab, generally you give him a registered name. We wanted a name that would look cool on paper and Backwoods Master fit that. And so his registered name is Three Seaters Backwoods Master. Now, obviously it would be ridiculous while you're out hunting to be shouting out, Backwoods Master! Backwoods Master! Uh, So you give the dog a call name. That's the name you use every day. Ours? Boone. It didn't take me long to see that Boone was a special dog. He comes from a very smart line of dogs. And I could see right away in him this willingness to learn, this drive. Now, I'm not saying he was perfect out the gate. He's a lab, and so there's some instincts in him that he had to be trained not to act on. He is a bird dog, and we have chickens. So you can imagine this right away was a concern for us. So day one, we started getting him around the chickens, but not being allowed to play with the chickens. And to this day, he has a perfect record on not killing chickens. Not something we could boast about living. Jack isn't only a person you can call on the phone. Jack's a person you can go and see with your dog, ask him what to work on next. Jack suggested that I teach Boone how to fetch the same way that Jack teaches his dogs. It involves a table and a long process. that takes a lot of work, about an hour a day, half hour in the morning, half hour in the evening. And it's very detailed, intricate. But I was up for it. I really wanted a good bird dog. And so I began training Boone the method that Jack suggested. After a few months of work with Boone, and thinking I'd progressed pretty far in the training, I started to notice some problems, some areas that needed help. I went to see Jack again. Hi, Boone.
3: 24th year in a row. Huh? Labrador's number one on AKC. Wow.
2: I just walked in the door, and that was the first thing Jack said to me. He is a bit of a champion for the lab.
3: Oh, he's a handsome devil. Sit. Hey, sit!
2: And when you listen to Jack work with the dog, don't misunderstand what you're hearing. This is a guy who loves labs, loves dogs, takes incredible care of them, has a bond with these animals and an understanding like I've never seen. But he also doesn't take any flack. He's the alpha male in the group. And when you hear him speak to the dogs, you hear alpha. He demands obedience, Sit. and he gets it. you bonehead. Jack put Boone up on the table, and he started the fetching process. The very first step in teaching this fetch process involves getting the dog to accept holding a wooden dowel from you. He needs to hold the wooden dowel, take it from you whenever you offer it to him, and hold it for as long as you want him to. It's the fundamental first piece. I'd already moved on long past this step. But Jack told me that was a mistake.
3: Until you can put that dowel in his mouth and he holds it like this, you don't go on to the next step. I can tell by the whites of his eyes being bugged out
2: that he's never never really accepted at this point in time. Yeah, which, I mean, blows me away, Jack, because, like... You can hear it in my voice. I'm really bummed. I'd been working for months with this training and advanced long past step one, or so I thought. But Jack showed me that the problems that I was facing further down the line were all because this first step wasn't really complete.
3: Good. Good boy. Sit. Yeah. Yeah, you're pretty nervous, aren't you? There you go. You're calming down a little bit now. Don't look at him. I'm the one with the stick, not him. Good job.
2: And it took this long to get Boone to finally accept this dowel from Jack, something that should have happened immediately. So, leaving Jack's I knew, I needed to go back to day one with the training, step one, and begin all over again, everything I had taught the dog. It was not the first time that I had to go back and reteach something. Jack was really encouraging. He said we were doing a good job. Boone was ahead of the curve as far as manners went. And he sat for a really long time, which I was super happy about. So we got one thing, right? Jack encouraged me, keep it up, start back at step one. And he said it would go faster than the last time had. And this time it would be right. I was ready with a renewed spirit encouragement from Jack. We headed home back to Connecticut. I had plans to start back at day one, but something happened and that changed all my plans. It was Friday, March 20th. Boone had just turned a year old two days previous. I was at a home show with my parents, helping them set up a booth for uh, a show that they were gonna do. And I got a phone call. Kendra asked me how full was that bucket of rat poison? She sounded concerned. My heart stopped. That's not the kind of question that you want to hear, especially as a father. I said, why? She said, because Boone's outside playing with it, and it's empty. Years passed when we first bought our property, long before we were organic farmers, before we owned a dog or any animals for that matter. We moved onto a property that was loaded with rodents. There were rats, there were mice. We had a young son, and we didn't want him around rodents, so we bought a bucket of very deadly poison called brometholin. The reason we bought a whole bucket was because a nearby farmer gave us some advice. He said, if you have a lot of rodents, buy some of that pelletized rat poison and then put one or two pellets in an area. He said, you don't want to put a lot out because if one of your own animals happens to get into it, they can be poisoned. He says one or two pellets won't hurt a bigger animal. And we thought that sounded like good advice. We just walked into our local farm store looked at the first bucket on the shelf and said, yeah, this looks right, and took it home. The problem was we bought a bucket of this stuff. We put it up on a shelf, high out of reach, and then we forgot about it. We never, ever used it, not once. Which, as you can guess, means that the bucket was full to the top with rat poison. Back to the phone call. I told Kendra I had not used this stuff. I forgot it was there. This was years and years ago. Now I was really worried. I asked her if she'd called the vet. That was the next step. I hung up the phone, and I stepped away from the booth that we were setting up. I just stood there for a couple seconds, trying to brace what had just happened. I knew that this was not going to be good. Boone got into a whole bucket of rat poison, and as far as Kendra could tell, there was none left. Kendrick called back in a few minutes after talking with the vet. The vet had told her that we could start Boone on a dose of vitamin K. She said that the poison was an anticoagulant. It would essentially make him start to bleed. But if we got him on a dose of vitamin K, that could help stop the bleeding. It was a scary situation, but it certainly wasn't impossible. I was worried, and I decided I was going to call the vet myself. The vet that was on call that day was a younger vet, a newer vet. When I spoke with her, I asked her, is this something I need to rush home right now to take care of? And she said, well, the most important thing is that you get the dog to vomit. To induce vomiting, you need to give him two tablespoons of hydrogen peroxide. Then she said, get him here as quick as you can. I asked her point blank, because she hadn't told me or Kendra yet, I said, is this a really dire situation? Is this something I need to be scared about? She said, yeah, this is really scary. But if you can get him to vomit and then get him here quickly, we can jump on the treatment. Then there'll be a good chance that he'll get better. I could live with that. So I hung up the phone with the vet and I called Kendra. From the time that she had seen him playing with the bucket to the time that she first induced vomiting, At the most, 10 minutes had passed, which was very important. The more we could get out of the dog, the better off we would be. Kendra loaded Boone up into the van and she took him down to the vet. She brought him in and she brought the bucket of poison with her. They brought Boone in, checked out his vitals. Kendra explained everything that she'd done up to that point. They sent her home with a dose of vitamin K and they said to start treatment right away. They also told Kendra to stop the vomiting. They said, we want to get some vitamin K in him right away. Now, at this point, I felt really helpless because I was hours away. There was nothing I could do. I got back to my work for a few minutes when she called back. She said something that really concerned me. She said that she went online and researched brometholin. And according to what she had read, brometholin is not an anticoagulant, like the vet had told us. And vitamin K was a useless treatment against it. The vet on call was a newer vet. Perhaps this was the reason for the misdiagnosis. There is another veterinarian animal hospital that's not too far from us. It's a 24-hour clinic. I decided I'd give them a call for a second opinion. When I called the animal hospital, the receptionist answered the phone. I spoke with her for a few moments, I explained the situation, and she told me the same advice our vet had. I told Kendra that they'd given us the same advice, and she said, it's wrong. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. I've read it on the Poison Control website. So at this point, we didn't know who to believe. Two vets had told us the same thing. Treat this with vitamin K. And yet, Poison Control website told us that we were doing the wrong thing. We figured they knew what they were talking about. Kendra called our vet back again. When the vet answered the phone, Kendra said to her, I was reading on Poison Control's website, that bromethalin is not an anticoagulant. It's a neurotoxin. She said it says specifically do not treat with vitamin K. There's a pause on the other end of the line. And then the vet said to us, "Bromethalin. How do you spell that? B R O M E T H A L I N. Brometholin. Now I could see where the confusion came into play. Brometholin is a rodenticide. Bromadiolone is another kind of rodenticide. That is an anticoagulant. That is treated with vitamin K. It's an antidote. It can fix your problem. And when identified correctly, treated quickly, the vitamin K can really help save dogs' lives. Brometholin is a neurotoxin. It attacks the nervous system. There's no antidote. After hanging up with our vet, we decided we would call Poison Control. Now, Poison Control charges for your case. They charged us $65 just to take the phone call. I have to say, this was the best $65 spent in the entire process. If you have an animal that gets poisoned, don't hesitate to call poison control. It's the best money you can spend because they deal with this every day. And they explained exactly what brometholin was and correctly how to treat it right away. And then they work with your vet to make sure your vet does everything correctly. Which was amazing. Plus, each follow up phone call is free. So here's what we learned about brometholin. The first step to saving your dog is to get your dog to vomit. You need to do this quickly. Hopefully you realize that the dog got into the poison right away. They say that a dog can't actually vomit the entire amount ingested. There's only a certain percentage that they're able to vomit up. But every bit you remove from their system is going to help. That is very time sensitive. You need to do that quickly. Don't waste time. And again, you can do that by giving them two tablespoons of hydrogen peroxide. The next thing that you need to do is get your dog some activated charcoal. Now, this is not something to toy around at home with. This is something that the professionals should be doing. Because of the way a dog's digestive system works, the poison gets recycled throughout its system. So the activated charcoal treatment is given at a specific dose a few times throughout the day and preferably if you have a 24 hour clinic near you, you bring your dog there. That way they can maintain a regular cycle. The idea is that the charcoal absorbs this toxin and helps pass it through the body without the body being able to absorb it. The whole goal with bromethalin, because there is no antidote, is to prevent as much being absorbed into the body as possible. Dogs can receive a certain amount of toxicity and survive. They may experience a temporary paralysis, lose the use of their back legs, even not be able to walk for a time. And yet, they also can recover from this, so it's not hopeless. If the dog ingested too much brometholin, for example, an entire bucket, well, then the dog will surely die. Depending on the size of your dog, it can ingest a certain amount and survive. But if ingest over that toxicity level, the bromethalin will shut down its nervous system and it'll kill the dog. At this point, I was home. It took me an hour and a half to get there. We did have a 24-hour clinic near us. I brought Boone in, and then I met with the vet. Activated charcoal for two days, putting the dog on IVs, giving him an acid, pumping fluids into him. So I agreed with the vet. Go for it. Try to save my dog. And then I left Boone at the vets for the weekend. This was Friday afternoon. We were feeling scared, exhausted, but good because we knew we'd done everything we could and now Boone was in good hands. He was at the animal hospital. He would be taken care of every hour for the whole weekend and they'd be able to run two cycles of activated charcoal through his whole system. When I got home, I went and looked to find where he got into this stuff. I went into a barn and in the back, I found where the bucket had fallen. And this was actually the first really good news of the whole day. What I found was a small puddle of green material. So the bucket must have fallen off of a shelf. Some animal probably knocked it over. It hit the ground and opened up. Then water running on the ground must have gotten into the pellets and then kind of puddled them into a big pile and then because of how cold it had been it froze there. So now I knew Boone did not eat a whole bucket of rat poison. Whatever was left it was much less than what I had expected he'd ingested at first. All I could see was that from this small puddle he'd clawed a small section away and eaten that. This made me feel a lot better. It meant there was definitely hope. If he'd ingested the whole bucket, he was definitely going to die. But now I knew he didn't. He only ingested a little bit. This little bit, this small amount, is what his life hung on. Whether or not that small amount was going to kill him, or if we were going to be able to get through this one without losing our pup. The vet told us, that in the next three to four days, we'd probably be out of the woods for him dying. What happens is the nervous system begins to shut down, and the dog begins to have seizures, and the seizures don't stop. So essentially, you have to put your dog down. If he makes it out of the first three days, they said, then you need to wait about a week. At the end of that week, you'll know whether or not the dog is going to have some form of paralysis. If paralysis develops within that week, paralysis can be temporary. Up to six weeks, they can be paralyzed and still get better. Now we had to hold our breath for the following week, or at least till Sunday, when we were scheduled to go pick him up from the clinic. Saturday morning, the vet called. No signs of toxicity. Boone is doing well. By Saturday evening, nothing had changed. Sunday at three o'clock, the vet called me and said, this afternoon we'll be done with all our treatment. Boone looks good, you can come and take him home. We were so grateful. The clinic treated Boone for two days straight and it had already been two days with no signs of toxicity. We felt like we dodged a really big bullet. We all got in the car on Sunday drove down to the clinic picked him up Moon came running into the room when he saw me wagging his tail he cheered right up the vet said it was the happiest he'd looked all weekend I gave him a real good pet I told him not to be an idiot again (laughs) and we took Boone home it had been an incredibly scary two days the anxiety level was really high at our house But now we were really close to being out of the woods. The vet said that by Monday, if there were no sign of seizures, they weren't gonna start. We brought Booney home and went to bed. I slept really well that night, knowing that Booney was doing great, and he was home. It was amazing, despite how scary this situation was. So many things really went right for us. Boone's a retriever, so he naturally brings everything he plays with back to us to show us back to the house and that's why Kendra was able to see him playing with that bucket if she hadn't seen him playing with the bucket we never would have known that he'd eaten the poison we never could have jumped on the treatment like we did and if that bucket had been a completely full bucket that hadn't been knocked off the shelf melted into a puddle and then frozen hard and solid to the ground he would have been able to eat the whole thing it was frightening it was scary But so many things seem to have gone right for us.
1: Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important. Like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com.
2: And that's why it sucked so much when Boone started to lose the use of his back legs. Monday morning, I noticed it taking him out for a walk. We were going to do the animals, and just going down the stairs, he was getting a little shaky. This was one of the side effects that could be seen as a sign that paralysis was setting in. The paralysis could be temporary. It also could be limited to just the back legs. As Monday came and went, and Boone still was able to walk around, get up, feed no problem. We weren't too worried. But Tuesday morning, something happened that was a sign of things to come. The baby woke up crying, and they took her out to the living room about 3.30 in the morning. And Boone had pooped in his crate. It was all over the crate and all over him. At the time, I thought it was just because his cycle was off. But the next morning, after I'd left for work, Kendra found him covered up again, having messed the crate and peed all over. He was starting to lose control of his body. Then the vomiting started. Kendra and the kids were in the living room when Boone started to retch. And he puked up what was this green slime. The throwing up continued into the afternoon. We decided in the morning we'd call the vet to find out what to do. I was worried about Boone becoming dehydrated from the constant throwing up. So I started feeding him water with a spoon. I went down every hour throughout Tuesday night. Wednesday, we called the vet. He told us to get Boone off of food, start him on liquids, and then slowly work solids back into his system. By Wednesday evening, he'd eaten a little bit of food, and he was taking all the liquids we were giving him. I made an appointment on Thursday to bring him in so the vet could check up on him. We brought Boone in. I got him out of the truck. I carried him in, because he was real weak. I brought him right in, put him on the table, and our vet took a look at him. This time, the head vet was in, and he's great. He's really good with dogs. He just has a really good way with them. He checked Boone's vitals. He weighed him, he'd lost over 10 pounds, and then they gave him an IV with fluids. Our vet told me a lot about bromethalin. He said whoever made bromethalin designed it to be a latent poison. The idea is you don't want a rat to eat that and become sick and realize right away that he should stop eating it. Instead, you want the rats to be able to all go and eat it and have the poison kill them days later. That's why it's so hard when your animal gets into this, because your animal can seem fine two or three days in, and then a week in, start to develop paralysis. This is a very powerful poison. So now I want to take a second to talk about whether or not you should use poison on your farm. I believe that everyone has the right to make their own decisions about how they're going to handle the things they do on their farm and with their family. There's lots of ways to control pests on a farm we found no better solution than having a couple good barn cats. Now, whether or not you feel that it's right to have an animal live outside, again, I'm not going to tell you what's right or wrong, but we have a barn cat. She does an amazing job taking care of our mice and our pest control. Traps. Traps are also an option. You can set traps, bait traps, they work, and there's different kinds of traps. Poison kills indiscriminately. It doesn't care if it's a rat, or a goat, or your dog, or one of your children. Having a lot of poison on the farm is asking for trouble. There's no place safe. A dog will find it. As in our case, we had it up high on a shelf, and some animal came along and knocked that over. Eventually, some animal that's not supposed to will find the poison, and will get into it. If you decide that you are indeed going to use poison, my advice to you would be keep only small doses around. We had a bucket full of this stuff. And because of that, we wound up where we were. Poison doesn't just hurt the animals that it kills. Any animal that eats off that animal will also acquire a level of toxicity. And so it stays around. It continues to harm the ecosystem around it and ultimately it just harms our planet. If you decide that you are going to still use poison, research the poison you choose. Brometholin has no antidote. Other forms of rat poison, rodenticides, do have an antidote. If Boone had gotten into a different poison, perhaps we'd already be treating him with the antidote and he'd be getting better. We will never, ever use poison on our farm. It's a decision we made when we started our organic farm. Unfortunately, decisions that we'd made in the past, before that, wound us up here at the vets. He told me that this was just a waiting game. We needed to wait and see what would happen. The weakness in the back legs was not a great sign, uh, but the fact that Boone was still eating, he hadn't had any seizures, things still were hopeful. The biggest worry now was to make sure Boone ate. And if he stopped eating, we needed to make sure he kept having fluids. I was thinking to myself, well, I can bring him in every day and have him give him an IV. So I asked him if I could bring him in every day just for a IV treatment. And my vet said something that was amazing. He said, you can do this. I'll send you home with the equipment you need. He showed me how to put the needle in. He told me how much to give Boone. I couldn't believe how kind that was. I was incredibly grateful for that so we brought boone back into the car i put boone back in the truck i had a bag full of IV fluids and needles i returned home ready with purpose we were gonna nurse boone through this whether it took one week or six i was in it for the long haul i love my dog i was gonna do whatever i could to save him okay First, for everything, right? No, you hold it. Vet told me I should have a helper when I give an IV to Boone. Somebody just to hold the dog in place while I put the needle in and control the drip. We put cartoons on for the kids, and me and Kay went downstairs to do our first IV on the farm. And pull that. Ooh! There's a big needle. Woo! Alright. I'm gonna throw a glove on that hand. Yeah, so I don't poke through. I'm like such a big needle. I'm worried of poking clear through and grabbing my finger. Ooh. All right, buddy. We're in. Yep. You got it. Yeah. So if you're ever in a situation where you're nursing an animal that is no longer drinking, and you need to get fluids into it, I gotta say you can totally do this yourself. It's not hard. Now, don't do it without some help. Find out if your vet will show you how to do it. Each session took about a half an hour. We couldn't just hook him up and leave him, because obviously he's a dog, he might get up and walk away. So you had to stand there for a half hour holding the bag. I was ready to do this for the next six weeks if that's what it took. I mean, this looks awful, but. At least he's still alive, right? He's still alive and he's not puking. He's not puking. Yeah, so, I mean, if it's temporary depression and... Paralysis. Paralysis, that it is, they say paralysis can be temporary. We were not giving up hope. (sighs) This is one of those moments in your marriage where you rely so much on your partner. Just hanging there. It's an important reason when you go into owning any animals to be in it together. Because when things go wrong and you need help, you need to be able to rely on your wife or your husband. I was so grateful to have my wife there, holding the dog, petting him, while I was giving him the IV. She made me feel like we could get through this. I had her support. My wife was amazing through this entire process. She helped so much. Kendra's not the biggest fan of labs. Not because of the attitude. She really liked Boone's personality. It's just the shedding. There's constant hair and constant mess. My wife likes to keep a neat house. She'd sworn off labs. Boone was going to be our last lab. We're never going to get another one. Because because of the hair. It just gets everywhere. But here she was, every step of the way, trying to nurse him back to health as best she could. She was the reason he made it to the vet on time. She was the reason he had any chance to live. I'm so thankful to this day for my wife's help. Thank you, babe. This is definitely...
3: Good boy,
2: buddy. Good boy. He's definitely, like... these last day and a half has been the worst. You know, for him, like, the throwing up and went stuff went to bed bad, Thursday night, like, and I went down first thing Friday morning to check on him. Okay, it's 6.30 on Friday morning. I'm going down to see him first thing this morning. Hi, buddy. How you doing? He's laying there, he looks alert. I don't see any puke, which is a good sign. Hey bud. Come here. Don't come here. Doesn't really look like he wants to move. Let's see if he wants to eat. He's he's licking a little bit on his own. Need somebody? He's licking it up himself now. That's a good sign. He wasn't eating on his own yesterday. It's been one week. Let's see if he can stand after he's finished eating. Every time you would come down and check on Boone now, he'd be laying there. His back legs were very stiff. They were not working very well. He'd start to fall over if he was standing up. We were trying to keep a positive face and look for signs of improvement, but there were not many. He was not doing very well. Throughout the day, we continually checked on him. Friday evening, he was in very bad shape, but he'd made it a week. A week since I got that phone call. I thought if he made it a week, he certainly would make it. Saturday morning came. And I went down to visit Boone. And he didn't look good. At this point, I'd stopped recording my visits. They were too depressing. I wanted to give Boone a bath. But Kendra said he didn't look like he could handle it. It would be cruel. And she was right. He'd lost a lot of weight still. He was really stiff. We're all out of Ivy fluids. So, I left Boone. And I ran to the vet. Kendra kept checking on him every... 20 minutes or so. I arrived back home with a week's worth of supplies. Everything I was going to need to nurse Boone for the following week. I walked up to the house, and I opened the door. It was Saturday, March 28th. After a week of fighting, Boone's body finally shut down, and he died. He was a year and a week old. I walked in the room, and he was laying completely still, with his mouth open, and he was panting. Something had changed, I could tell. I put the bag of IV fluids down, I walked up to him, and I started petting him, and talking to him. He started to wag his tail. He couldn't move any part of his body, but he could still wag his tail right up to the end. I bent down beside him. I started talking to him. Scratching his head. I could feel his pulse. It was... It was irregular. His breathing had slowed. And I just talked to him. And I pet him. Wanted him to know that his best bud was there. I just rested my head on him and I told him I was sorry. And that we tried so hard all I could say is that we tried so hard that I was sorry. It was just a year since we'd got that excited news. The pups had been born. Boone entered the world. He saw a light for the first time. He took his first breath, and he learned to use his wobbly legs. And in the last week I'd been by his side, as he slowly lost the use of those legs, as his body shut down. And I was there by his side, scratching his head and talking to him, when he took his last breath. Kendra heard me, and she came downstairs. I said, he's gone, and she started to cry. And we just stood there sobbing. We tried so hard, and it didn't work. When I picked Booney up and took him outside, the baby saw him for the first time in a few days. Since we started the IV treatments, we'd moved him, and she hadn't seen him. She got all excited. She missed him, and she ran over and smiled. The two of them had grown up together. They'd developed this sibling relationship, almost. Boone would come jumping in the house. He'd always wind up knocking her over, and she'd get mad at him, but she loved him. To this day, if she sees a yellow lab, she gets a big smile on her face, and she waves. She thinks it's Booney. She'd wondered where he'd went. We thought they were going to grow up together. We thought he'd be the family dog that all the kids remembered. I carried Boone the long walk to the garden, to where we buried Libby. Kendra had all the kids outside ready for the burial. It's always been a family event ever since I was a kid. We all take our dog and bury it together. A great friend of mine came over and helped. We dug a spot in the garden, not far from where Livy's buried. My two oldest, my son and daughter, helped. They had their little pink and blue shovels. Kendra came outside with the baby, We all stood around the hole, placed him in, told him he was a good boy, and that we were sorry one more time, and then we buried him. Boone's buried in between the garden and the goat barn. It's right along my morning walk each day. The walk that Boone used to go on with me. A walk that I now take alone. It didn't even feel real. He was a year old. How could that have happened? How could we lose another puppy? We felt so responsible. The following few days, we looked back at what had happened with almost disbelief. It seemed surreal that Boone could be dead. He'd become such a part of our daily life, such a part of my routine. He'd go with me every morning on our walk together to do all the animal chores. He would take drives with me, and there were pieces of him missing everywhere. It was really hard. Boone was my once-in-a-lifetime dog. He was my uno mas. Kendra had sworn off Labs. The mess that they bring, both inside and outside of the house, was too much for her liking. But I have a soft spot for Labs. They're my dog and my wife has a soft spot for me. We were standing in the dining room, looking out the open window at our farm. I told her how much I missed him. I said to her, just one more. She said, of course. I called Jack on Monday night. It was one of the harder phone calls I've ever made. I didn't know what to expect. Jack really cares about his animals. I didn't know if he'd be mad, or if he'd think that it was our fault. Jack was amazing. He told us, accidents happen, and this was not your fault. He said, you did everything you could. He said, don't blame yourself. It happens to these dogs a lot. They got an incredible nose, and it gets them in trouble. He told me of a dog he'd lost when his kids were younger. He said, it breaks your heart, but, but you'll get through it. And he's right. It's been a month to the day, the morning that I'm recording this show. And I haven't <laughs> cried about it much in the last couple weeks. Until, of course, today, going through the story like this. I told Jack how much we loved Boone, how great of an animal he'd been. Boone was in the last litter that Babe and Moss were going to have. He was my once in a lifetime dog, a chance to get a puppy from Babe and Moss, these two incredible animals, and he really lived up to it. I told Jack I knew he was done breeding Babe and Moss, but if I was going to get another dog I still wanted it to be from him. So if he was breeding any of his other pairs, let me know. I'd like to be on the list. Jack said, well, actually, I got some good news. We have a breeding happening this month, and I can put you on the list for it. It's Babe and Moss. We decided to do just one more. Hey, everybody. I wanted to thank you so much for listening to this story. This was the hardest episode I've ever done, and it took a long time to get right. Thank you for listening. I hope it touched you. More importantly, I hope that it helps save some other dog and some other family out there from going through this. So I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Could you please take a minute, find the link for this episode on our website this is homesteady.com. We have the link and we have lots of nice pictures of Boone. We put together some of the best pictures that we could find of Boone and also a really amazing video of us with the kids training him to retrieve. It's amazing to watch how good he was even with the kids. All on our website. You can go see it. And share this wherever you can. Whether it be social media, Twitter, Facebook, Google+, Or even if you just tell somebody else about it and show them the website, face-to-face. Anyone who has animals, anyone who has pets, anyone who's got a farm, share this story. It'll help give Boone's death a little more meaning for us. If he has the ability to help save one other family from going through this, that would make doing this whole story worth it. If you do share it on social media, please hashtag it for Boone. I know that seems really stupid to ask for right now, but I really want to see what kind of effect this has. I want to see the messages that Boone inspires, and I can't find them any other way. So if you do share it on social media, please hashtag it for Boone, and that's spelled B-O-O-N-E.